back. And uh, there was great singing and there was traditional dancing. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I've asked some of the folks to clear away some of the, the stuff on the platform in case I break out into some Gangnam style or something like that. <laughs> Uh, it was it was really great. What a good time it is to gather as God's people and to celebrate the life and death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to be talking about Jesus this morning from the Gospel of Mark. And my subject is, get ready to serve. Saturday night was bath time at the Rennie house. And uh, there were a lot of kids. My mom and dad had uh, five kids of their own, and there were two older ones. And so uh, along with uh, some other folks that lived in the house, there was, oh, about nine or ten people at any one time. And uh, especially the kids, especially the boys, they, they needed it to get cleaned up, especially on Saturday night because we were going to church on Sunday morning. Everybody knows if you go to church, you got to get washed up. You know, the definition of a boy is this. Uh, a boy is defined as a noise with dirt on it. <laughs> Unfortunately, there was only one bathtub. Nine or ten people in the house, one bathtub. Everybody wanting the same thing at the same time. We had coal burning furnace at that time and in order to get the hot water, you had to go down and stoke the furnace, and then you had your baths. Usually the older ones got in there first, the adults uh, had their baths, and then it came time for the, the junior members of the family. And there was a bit of a pecking order, and uh, by the end of uh, the evening of bathing, all of the, uh, the hot water had been used up. So you really wanted to get in early. Unless, of course, you wanted hot water, and then you went down into the basement and you stoked the furnace once again. My brother Andrew one day wanted a, uh, a bath, and he wanted hot water. So he went down and he was stoking the furnace. I knew he was there, but I really wanted a bath. So I jumped in front of him in the queue, and I had a bath. He has never forgiven me till this day <laughs> for stealing his bath water. But the bath wasn't the main thing. It was getting ready. It was getting ready to go to church the next day so that we could appear there clean and uh, with some semblance of order. And the, the Rennie family would show up and everyone would troop in. It was quite a show. And before we went in, my mother would check behind our ears and she would use her saliva. You know, she'd, she'd do, you ever had that? You know, she'd, she'd finish the last little bits where we didn't get the night before just so we were clean. And uh, I, I, some of you had, have had the same experience. I see some knowing nods. Uh, mother's saliva cleaning the last little bits of dirt off your forehead or something. The idea was this. You show up clean because, you see, we're going to worship the Lord and we're going to serve the Lord. And my mom and dad did serve the Lord. My mom would teach in Sunday school. And my dad sometimes would be preaching. And uh, there were things to do in the church. And we were an involved family. So Saturday night was an important night. It was bath night. 
John's gospel starts with bath night. A bath before you start. And uh, Jesus is, is a wonderful, a wonderful example because he himself came to have a bath at the Jordan River at the hand of John the Baptist. Before we get to that, though, let's back up and look at Mark's gospel as a whole. Mark's gospel is the gospel of service. It's the gospel of service. Now, there are three other gospels. There's Matthew. and In Matthew's gospel, it's not the gospel of service. It's the gospel of righteousness and the kingdom. And so Jesus is giving us the wonderful laws of the kingdom. And, and uh, the, the Sermon on the Mount comes from Matthew. Beautiful picture of Jesus as the king. And in Luke, he is the man who has come to unite others in peace and bring reconciliation. And so Luke is the gospel of peace and reconciliation. In John's gospel, he is the son of God who came from heaven. And so in John's gospel, it it is very strongly presenting the fact that Jesus is God who has come as a human being, but he, he is God. Bob was just talking to us about that, how Jesus didn't cease to be God when he came here, but he became a man. That's the mystery of Jesus Christ. He is both fully God and fully man. So in Mark, Jesus is the servant of God, and he comes to to serve us, and he comes to teach us how how to serve God. That's what we're finding in this beautiful gospel of Mark. And there's a key verse in Mark. It's Mark chapter 10 and verse 45. And this is what it says. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I'm wondering if we could just say that one together. This is the, this is the key verse. This is the memory verse for the month. It would be good to memorize this verse. Let's say it together. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Mark 10 and 45. You didn't put the address in. When you memorize a verse, put the address in, and then you will remember it where it's found, and then you can share it with somebody else because you know the address. Mark 10 and 45. So Mark is a beautiful gospel, but... Many commentators have remarked about the difficulty in following Mark's presentation. A good outline of the book has proved to be quite elusive. And usually commentators just say, well, let's just divide it up about the geographical areas where Jesus went. And that's where many of the commentators end up. He went up to Galilee, he went down to Jerusalem, he went into Perea, he came back to Galilee, and so on. But it doesn't give you any spiritual enlightenment when you just follow the the geographical areas that Jesus was in. I don't think it's a good outline. One commentator has said this, Mark's gospel is like pearls on a string. Each one is beautiful, but they bear no relation to one another. So Mark is sort of like a junior reporter for a newspaper, 
And uh, he's got all of his facts straight, but he hasn't put them together into a beautiful, flowing uh, uh, kind of a, a package so that people can are, are brought into the story and they follow the storyline through to its end. Up until November of last year, that's what I believed. I believed that Mark was a very difficult gospel to follow because I couldn't see where one thought ended and why another thought would begin. And so Mark confused me. As a result, it was my least favorite gospel. So what's the answer to all of this? Is Mark just an inferior gospel and the others had to really perfect uh, what uh, the story of Jesus was all about? I say no. And the answer is chiasm. Now, some of you are laughing, but chiasm is the answer to Mark because there are 17 beautiful chiasms in Mark, each one presenting the story of Jesus in beautiful bundles of truth, and everything becomes quite comprehensible because we're looking at chiasms. Now, right away, I hear some of you saying, Jim, you promised last June, when you finished that study on 1 John, you promised that you wouldn't give us any more chiasms. And I have to say this, that's because I didn't know any more chiasms. But I found some more in the Gospel of Mark. So you're going to have to forgive me for making that rash promise because I want to present to you Mark the way I believe it is meant to be seen. But what is a chiasm? Some of you are saying, what what does he mean by this word chiasm? Well, I'm going to describe it for you. And uh, we're looking at a beautiful staircase, a double staircase in a beautiful mansion As you come into the foyer, this beautiful staircase presents in front of you, and you can walk upside, up one side, and you walk down the other side. A chiasm is like a beautiful double staircase. It's a literary construction where thoughts lead up to a high point, and then they come back down again on the other staircase. Now, here's the beauty of it. Every step up is matched by a step down. And the key thought is in the middle, at the top of the staircase. Now, most of us, you see, we have the idea of of learning material in a linear fashion. You open a book or you're looking at uh, some some, uh, uh, kind of a, uh, a presentation of something on the Internet and it starts with point A, it goes goes to point B, goes to point C and D and E and F and so on. That's linear thinking, A, B, C, D, E, F. And that's what we're used to. And that's why Mark is confusing, because, you see, Mark is not into linear thinking. He's into chiasms, and this is what a chiasm does. It goes A, and then it goes up the next step to B, and then it goes up the next step to C, and then maybe D and E, but then it, it gets to the top, and then it comes back down again. A, B, C, B, A. Why chiasms? Is this just kind of a funny way of writing? No, I think not. We have to remember this. When Mark was writing his material, 
and he was presenting his material about his gospel, he was presenting to people who were mostly illiterate. They couldn't read, and they couldn't write. So, Mark chose to put his material into chiasms because chiasms are very, very good for people who can't read and write because it helps them to remember things in two ways. It's for memory purposes. That's why I couldn't understand Mark. You see, I couldn't understand it. When I saw it as chiasms, I could tell you this morning pretty much all of the Gospel of Mark, and I've learned it in three months. I can tell you what's going on on pretty much every page because I have it in pictures. And the way to teach people who are illiterate is to draw them pictures. Pictures. A picture is what? Worth a thousand words. Draw a picture. You might as well have an economy of words because the picture is going to say it for you. right? So when, uh, when the, the ancient uh, uh, teachers... Would, would start talking about the book of Mark, they probably would get down on the ground and people would gather around and just like Jesus rode in the dust one day, they would probably draw a double staircase in the sand and say, now listen, this is the story of Mark. And they would go through A, B, C, now down to B again and down to A. And when you go back to B and you go back to A, you get the second help that illiterate people need, and that is repetition for remembrance. When I was in Zambia, I would go by the school sometimes, the public school in, Z in, in Chitokoloki in Zambia, where we were missionaries, and they were all reciting stuff, and they were reciting stuff in the classroom over and over and over again, until they could say it by heart. Repetition creates remembrance. And so you see, when you, got, you have a chiasm, you're repeating something at least twice. At least twice. God wants us to remember his word. And so, in ancient times, they used this means. Mark chapter 1, verses 1 to 13 is the first section, the first chiasm of Mark. And it's all about getting cleansed and about getting ready for the Lord. Let's read it together. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And so John came, baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were out, went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made from camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. And he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. 
I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the desert, and he was in the desert 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. Now, I've given you an outline for you to look at, because this is the way that this passage is presented in the form of chiasm. So, you can look at the first step, and it starts with the very same verses, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. Voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Now, in order to show you the... the, 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 the the, the uh, uh, beauty and the, com- the, the contrast of what is being said here, we have to look at the other side, the other A part. So go over to chapter 1, verse 10 to 13. You've got it right there beside you. These are the, these are the first steps. And it says, a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you I am pleased, well pleased. The Spirit sent him out into the desert. He was in the desert 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angels attended him. Those are the two first steps coming up the staircase. You say, well, why are they equal? Why are they the first steps? Because I want you to notice the comparisons and the contrasts and the connections between these two parts. Then you'll remember them. On the the left-hand side, you see that somebody is announcing John the Baptist. It's Isaiah. Isaiah was an Old Testament prophet. And it says, it was written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you. So who was announcing John the Baptist? 600 years before John the Baptist ever came, Isaiah prophesied and said there's going to be somebody who's going to come and be and be representing Jesus and is going to be his forerunner and he's going to declare the coming of the Lord. Now on the other side, a prophet, great as he was, Isaiah, does not announce Jesus. You know who announces Jesus? Heaven is open and God announces Jesus. God announces Jesus. The heavens open. Voice came from heaven. Not a prophet. God himself said, here's my son. Here's my son. So who is the messenger? And he's John. That's what he's called. He is a messenger. He's a servant of the Lord. We're talking about service. And John was a wonderful servant of the Lord. He was a messenger of the Lord. What a wonderful title to be called the messenger of the Lord. My messenger. But over on the other side, Jesus is not called a messenger. He's called God's son. This is my son. I don't just send a messenger to you now. I'm sending my son to you. 
On the first side, there's a voice. Cliff was lamenting the fact that he didn't have a voice over Christmas time. I hate when I don't have a voice because I do love to sing and I do love to share. And when I don't have a voice, it's really hard on me. It's a blessing to my wife, but it's very hard on me. On the first side, John is called the voice. And he's crying, crying in the wilderness. On the other side, the voice is God. And he's calling from heaven. What a wonderful, wonderful contrast. John calls from the wilderness. His voice rings in the wilderness, calling people out to the wilderness to baptize them. When Jesus came, heaven was torn open. And God, God is the one who came with a voice. John is serving Jesus by preparing his way. Angels serve Jesus because Jesus went into the wilderness and it says angels attended him. So, we're having, we're having these comparisons and these contrasts why? So you can remember. So you can remember. Who called John the Baptist? Who called Jesus? John a messenger. John was the voice. John served Jesus by preparing his way. Oh, but look at how much greater Jesus is. He is announced by God himself. He's not a voice from, from, from the wilderness. The voice from heaven. And the voice from heaven is God. And angels are attending his way. Let's, let, let's go up to the second step and see what we find there. It says in verse 4 to 6, And so John came, baptizing in the desert region, and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. We're going to talk about that in a minute. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Then it says on the one side, on the other side, at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. So this is where it all begins for Jesus. In uh, Matthew's gospel, you have a wonderful birth announcement. And in Luke's gospel, there's the Christmas story. And in John's gospel, God is coming down and becoming man from heaven. It's a wonderful, wonderful presentation in John's gospel. In Mark's gospel, Jesus is coming for business. He's coming, being with the people, getting baptized in the same water as they were, identifying with them, and he's saying, I am with you, I have come to be baptized with you, and I want to teach you how to be clean and how to serve God. What a wonderful story. So Jesus comes and is baptized with John. But notice after this, in on the left-hand side, John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. And his food was the food of the desert. Why mention John's clothing at this point? We've just been 
thinking about the wonderful ministry of John, and suddenly it mentions his clothing. It's sort of like, you know, in, in, in Hollywood, when, when there's a great presentation made, and they, they, they give somebody the Academy Award, and then there's a lady who goes up and receives the Academy Award, and somebody chirps in and says, and look at the lovely gown she has on. As if that's the big thing. Maybe in Hollywood it is the big thing, right? We saw some lovely gowns here last night. Nothing wrong with lovely gowns. But you see, why did John, why did Mark mention it at this time? Because you see, when you look at the other side of the chiasm, you're going to find out how Jesus was dressed. What was he dressed in? As Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw heaven torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. John's clothing came from the wilderness. Jesus' clothing came from heaven. John's clothing was man-made. Jesus' clothing was heaven-sent. The Holy Spirit came down. And it says in, in Luke chapter 24, Jesus says to his disciples, you will be clothed with power from on high. The Holy Spirit is a clothing from heaven. I hope you're getting the power chiasm here. I hope you're getting the power comparison. I hope you remember it, all right? This is what I believe, this is what we're going to be clothed in when we get to heaven. We're going to know this clothing because we're all going to be clothed in it. The wonderful, luminescent, luminescent clothing, white, pure clothing of heaven. The power of the Holy Spirit clothing people. That's what we're going to have in glory. We don't see that glory revealed in us right now, but it's going to come. We're going to have the clothing of heaven. Jesus had it at his baptism. And then we get to the top of the chiasm. And the top of the chiasm is the most important thing in the chiasm. And it is John's message. John's message. And we read it in verse 7 and 8. And this was his message. After me will come more, one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water. He will, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, lest you get the idea, you see, that the baptism was the, was the biggest thing that, that, that people uh, needed to come to John for. John didn't look at it that way. Baptisms was kind of a common thing amongst the Jews. When we visited Israel three years ago, in many of the places around Israel, there were, there were tanks, there were places where they, they, they collected water for the purposes of ceremonial washings and baptisms. Baptisms and washings were very, very common things. So when John called them to, to come out for a baptism in the wilderness at the Jordan River, this was nothing unusual. The Jews knew what it meant. It was a cleansing. What John was doing was not anything near as important as what he was announcing. And this is his message. I'm not the big story here. Somebody reminded me of that this morning. Jim, you're not the big story here, are you? I said, I'm not. It was an encouragement. It was an encouragement to remind me that 
It's not about Jim Rennie. It's not about you. It's not about anybody else except Jesus. That's the big story. And John's message was this. I am not the real deal. I am just the messenger. And there's coming someone who is the Lord, who is the Messiah, who is the fulfillment of all of our hopes for life. He's coming, and I'm just announcing him. And I'm not worthy enough to stoop down and untie the thongs of his sandals. Far more powerful than me. We're going to talk about power in a coming day. Next week, we're going to talk about power, the power. But you see, John is saying, it's not me. I don't have the power. He's more powerful than me, and I am unworthy in his presence even to untie the thongs of his sandals. I baptize with water, John says. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, this spirit baptism, I believe, was fulfilled after the Gospels were declared and you get into the book of Acts. It, it happened. The Holy Spirit descended upon the whole congregation of the believers at, at a time called Pentecost and, and the believers were indwelled by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, when he comes, he'll be with you forever. And then Jesus said, you'll receive power when the Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. You will serve me. Yeah, we need power for service. And Jesus makes sure we got plenty of power, because he gives us heaven-sent power. Now, I'm going to say this, you see. Christians do not need any longer to wait for God to empower them by the Spirit's baptism. Why? He's already there. He's not on the outside waiting to come into you. Dear believer, he's on the inside waiting to come out of you. Because he's the indwelling spirit. And God isn't, God isn't saying, wait until you get power from heaven. Wait until the Holy Spirit comes, because he's already come. He indwells you. It's the power that lies within us that's already there. The Spirit has come. No, we're not to wait for God to empower us. Listen, folks. It's God waiting for us to go to the river and commit to him in baptism and get clean so that God's power can then rest upon us so that we can serve. Do you get that? We're not waiting for a baptism. God's waiting for us to be baptized. And what does baptism mean? Well, why did the people get baptized in the days of John? I know there's a difference between John's baptism and Jesus' baptism, but there's, there's, there's great similarities as well. What are the similarities? John was preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Repentance means change your mind about your, your behaviors, change your mind about your sinful ways, and come and get washed, and I will give you a new heart, I will, I will regenerate you, I'll give you new life, and I will continue to cleanse you the rest of your life. Just like the Rennie boys were cleansed every Saturday night. I'm going to keep cleansing you the rest of your life. 
So baptism is a commitment to the cleansing process. And that's what the people came out for. We've got to get ready for the coming of the king. And so we've got to get washed. Nobody with dirty ears. Right? Nobody. Everyone cleaned for the coming of the Lord. That was the purpose. So the repentance and the repentant heart is the necessary condition for God's forgiveness and for God to empower you and for you to serve the Lord. It says in 1 John, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I will wash you when you come to me. I will forgive your sins. And and Cliff mentioned several times, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. The water is a picture of that cleansing process. Baptism is a sign, then, of my commitment to repent of my sin. And the people knew that when they came to John. But there's a second reason, you see. That's just the the means to the end. The the cleansing is so that I can get up and now with a cleansed heart and a pure heart, I can serve God. I can receive him when he comes. I can serve him. I'm ready because I'm cleansed. So baptism is very much a dedication to service. I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy, which means cleansed, and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship, Romans 12 and 1. We get cleansed on Saturday night. So what? We can get up and we serve the Lord on Sunday morning. And you could be cleansed every single day of your life so you can serve the Lord every single day because Sunday is no... no, uh, uh, Exception. Every single day is meant to be a day of serving the Lord. Now, why did Jesus get baptized? He had no sins to confess. He didn't come to get washed, folks. Why? Because God said, You are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. I see no sin in him. The only reason why Jesus could be our Savior is that he was the sinless Son of God. The sinless one had to come and die for the sinners. We couldn't have a sinner dying for sinners. It wouldn't work. Somebody who was pure and holy had to come and die for us. But Jesus did come and get baptized. Why? He was coming to serve. That was the day he started his service. That was the day. After 30 years of obscurity in his life, he finally comes to this day when publicly he is announced from heaven as the Son of God who has come to visit salvation upon his people. He has come. And not only has he come to serve us, he's come to teach us how to serve. He is our example. He was dedicated himself to the service of God, and that's what we need to do. Jesus in, in Psalm 40, it's a messianic psalm. It says, I desire to do your will, oh my God. So what is our response to all of this? Well, you have a choice to make today. You can live the rest of your life serving yourself if you want. There was a little sign that my mother posted over the breakfast nook in our, in our house many years ago. And it says this, only one life, it will soon be passed. And you know what? I'm 70 years old. 
and it's passing quickly. And some of my peers are dying. And it's going to be my turn sooner rather than later now. Life has soon passed. Only one life. And you only get one. One kick at the can, one go around. What do you do with it? Only one life, it will soon be passed. Only what is done for Christ will last. That's the rest of the poem. Only what's done for Christ will last. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he loses his own soul? You can live your life for yourself and for the world and for your pleasure and for your profit. You can do it and God lets you do it. But he's telling you this, at the end there will be nothing. Because the only life that's worth anything is a life that is given to God and serving God. And whatever you give to God, it is immortalized. It will always be remembered. God will not forget your service. Everything that you do for Jesus will be remembered eternally. We are building treasure for heaven when we serve God. It's the only thing that counts in this world. So, do you want to serve or not? If you serve, there will be eternal blessing. If you don't, even Christians who don't serve, you know what? You'll have nothing to give to God. And you'll be saved. Yes, you'll be saved because God is merciful to those who call in his name. But when you get to heaven and you stand before the Lord, you will have empty hands because you didn't serve the Lord. I tell you this, I don't want that. I don't want to be in that very shameful and embarrassing position. Nothing, nothing for God. Do you want to serve? You know, cleansing is necessary to prepare. So the question is, are you cleansed? Are you cleansed? Now, some of us perhaps have not seen the significance of baptism. I believe that every Christian should be baptized. Jesus was baptized. Every Christian should be baptized. It is more than just a sign. It is a commitment to a daily cleansing so that you can be of use to God. A daily cleansing so you can be of use to God. And then the Spirit comes down on cleansed lives. And I know this. When I live my life for myself and I live my life indulging in my sins, I, there's nothing good that comes out of those days and out of those times in my life. I look back and I see it. It's just useless because I was not cleansed. And I, I say this, I say this humbly. Before I came this morning, I prayed and I said, Lord, please wash me. Please cleanse me. Please forgive me. Because I'm going to get up and I'm going to seek to help people. I'm going to seek to minister to them. I need your cleansing. And I hope you prayed this morning and said, Lord, wash me and cleanse me. Baptism is a symbol that you're going to do that the rest of your life. It's a symbol that you're going to live a cleansed life. And when I point over here, this is our baptismal tank. Right? We'd like to see it used more like to see people coming for cleansing, just like the people came to the Jordan. And after cleansing, there's empowerment. We're going to talk about that next week. Are you seeking that power from the Holy Spirit? The power comes on a committed life, comes on a cleansed life. 
We're going to pray, and then we're going to ask the music team to come up and sing our final song, which I think you will enjoy. Father, we thank you for this uh, time of meditation in your word. We thank you, Lord, for the gospel of Mark, and we thank you, Lord, that he's presenting a common gospel for the common people and how we need it. We need to be reminded that we've got to spend our lives serving the Lord, but before we can serve, we've got to be washed. We, we need the washing of regeneration. We need the washing of salvation. And then we need a constant washing in our life, a cleansing, so that we can be pure vessels of service to you, equipped for every good work because we're washed. We thank you, Lord, for Jesus who came and was baptized to show us the way. Lord, we pray that you'd help us to do business with you, even as the, as the music team comes and ministers to us and we sing this beautiful song about coming for cleansing. In Jesus' name, amen.